So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Mmm, that's tasty. What are we drinking today? You had to ask me that, didn't you? Um, it is because a I didn't hazy, remember. uh, tropical breeze IPA from Hellbent Brewing Company. I'm definitely confident about the where it's from. Less confident about the string of syllables that I put before that. But it's something along those lines, and it tastes fruity and very good. That it does. And an easier question, what movies are we talking about today? Ooh, we are going to be talking about some Paul Verhoeven classics, such as RoboCop, Starship Troopers, and the Michael Mann film released in 2006, Miami Vice, starring Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell. Got some action movies for the first time in a while. And for the first time in our local while, not the listeners while, we're going to be doing first impressions in, gosh, it's been at least three weeks. Um, so let's do first impressions. What do we have today, Michael? We have Project Power, a Netflix title coming up uh, sometime in August, as well as She Dies Tomorrow from Amy Simetz. Which one are we doing first? We are going to be starting with Project Power. Power, power, speak a little louder. If there was a pill, I'm that money. I'm coming That could give you five minutes. It's really so they get it. I'm embedded with the power. A pure power. I'm embedded with the power. Would you take it? Listen to my voice. Am I lying? Welcome to Project Power. Our goal is simple. The next evolution of the human species. All right, Michael, that was the trailer for Project Power, starring Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, break it to me. Well, you named two actors who I like, who I think could be... Uh, Fun. I think this looks fun. It looks a little silly. I don't know how much I care for some of this imagery. The The concept is, I I gather that there is a, it's about a pill that gives you superpowers for five minutes. It also looks like when you take it, you just burst into flames, which is kind of just a, a corny image, I guess, but it looks kind of fun. The action looks uh, entertaining enough, I guess. I don't know that I have any uh, real sharp thoughts here, but I think this could... Uh, I could zone out to this for a while. What about you? Well, I'll provide some clarity first. Not everyone bursts into flames. Everyone has a different reaction to the pill and mm. has different powers. And the focus of that trailer was for a little bit, the guy that caught on fire and then actually exploded. So the risk is exploding uh, potentially no if good. that is your power. Um, well, since we last saw each other, I watched the old guard, Michael. And that movie was terrible. 
And it also had a semi-decent trailer with people that I like in uh, Matthias Schoenertz and Charlize Theron. And this movie also has people I like. I don't remember what I've seen Dominique Fishbank in, but I really remember responding to her performances in the past, or at least one performance, and I have no recollection of what that film was. Um, So I'm excited for Joseph Gordon-Levitt to get really overpaid. Very disappointed. It's a superpower-related film. And I expect this will be bad, but it does indeed have a trailer that makes it look fun. I would agree. I think their trailers are usually pretty entertaining. I think the odds, what do you think the odds are that they play the Kanye West song Power? Like 30% higher than that? No one man should have all this power. That just seems like that line is going to have its place. I feel like that's too on the nose with Jamie Foxx Mm. in the film. Um, and he knows Kanye. He might be like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that right now Netflix might not be trying to overspend on Kanye. Um, just currently in our in our landscape. So I'm going to say that all that extra money went to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And we're more likely to, to see some Billie Eilish, I, I would project. Mm, that seems plausible. So, all right. Well, on to a title that I'm much more excited about. She Dies Tomorrow. How's the new house? Good. Can you come over? Uh, I I can't. Are you okay? I am going to die tomorrow. What is going on? There is no tomorrow for me. All right, listen, Amy, I'm really freaking out right now. I feel like you put this idea of dying in my head. Can can you just call me back? All right, we just watched the trailer for She Dies Tomorrow. How do you feel about this one? Easy answer. Very positive. Nice. Very excited. This one sparks joy. Love it. I am very thrilled to know that this is coming VOD this coming month in the month of August. Is that correct? Yeah, like next week or the week after, pretty pretty soon. This looks humorous and really expertly um, written, very methodical. Cinematography looks very uh, specific. Um, I, I don't know that it looks really, really gorgeous or anything, but it looks really competent. Um, just genuinely interested in this from top to bottom and exactly what I was hoping for when you brought this title up. Love it. Yeah, looks like timely COVID viewing in a way, just with contagiousness at its center in a way. It kind of looks like it starts with one character, one particular character thinking she's going to die tomorrow, but that idea quickly, uh, uh, other people quickly having that same idea. Um, so yeah, timely COVID viewing, I think. Um, I think it looks fun. Yeah, an assortment of actors and actresses that I'm very fond of. Um, from top to bottom, this is great. Love to see, uh, Amy's film here and hopefully she'll make some more. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members and you can too. apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. On to RoboCop.
We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you Robocop. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go, you are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? Anything you say may be used against you. The first of our two Paul Verhoeven movies today. This one's from 1987. RoboCop. This is one you have seen before, I understand. Yes, I had watched it at some point as a child and retained essentially zero memory of it. Other than I apparently liked it enough whenever I saw it to end up getting a RoboCop action figure at like the age of four. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah, I don't know if I ever saw it. There are so many images from it that I have in my head, but I kind of feel like I might have just absorbed those from, like, culture over time. I don't mm-hmm. know that I ever sat down and watched this. I might have saw it on TV if it ever played on TV. kind of seems unlikely because of how violent it is. Well, they used to re-edit films specifically well, for being on TV and insert, like, trailer times and remove content. Very um, possible, So I'm, yeah. I'm sure it played on TV. This is exactly yeah. the type of title you would want on your... <laughs> channel four at like 7 p.m on a saturday or something had it play for you this time yeah it's it's an interesting film i think that i find it more interesting than i like it i appreciate it more than i enjoy it those types of words um how how did you find it um I was not as enthusiastic about it as I had hoped I would be, but I had a good time. Um, well, I'm sure we will use the word satire plenty of times while talking about pa- Paul Well, this Verhoeven. was a very serious film, you know. No satire to Clearly, be Clearly, <laughs> not at all. Um, I think with both of these movies, as we'll talk about Starship Troopers next, he has... Uh, a way of having his cake and eating it too. Mm-hmm. And I think I do like the like more, I, I do like the satirical elements of this more so than I do the stretches that are just kind of pure 80s action, um, which I think there are stretches of this movie in Starship Troopers that are just the action that is getting people in the door that people, many people came to the movie to see. Um, and that doesn't do a whole lot for me. But um, I think that the the ways that it does carry out its satire, I think, are pretty fun and amusing. Interesting. Yeah, I think that I definitely responded with a little bit more joy than you to some of the action sequences, like in the parking garage where he's rolling and rolling and rolling and gets in the car and just watching how many times he is shot. You know, there's Mm. not only comedy to it, but some interesting action cinematography. Um. I, I think at bare minimum is found throughout both this and Starship Troopers, especially the way that um, the bullets, you know, actually feel like they're somewhat real in this 1980s mm. action film. I, I find very um, 
tangible. And I, I was interested to note that this uh, cinematographer also worked on Total Recall, which mm. uh, has a very similar tone in it, personally. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember kind of this serious down-to-earth um, grittiness. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think this one at times feels more sincere than Starship Troopers, particularly insofar as it wants us or... Uh, kind of expects or asks asks us to sympathize with RoboCop as having kind of become this corporate slave after uh, Murphy, the human character himself, has died, um, which I think works better for me in just kind of an abstract sense of people being enslaved by their corporate employers in a way and unable to kind of fight back against them versus the way those scenes play quite literally, like when he takes off his masks and i think those are meant to uh inject some pathos into the thing i don't know that i really feel the empathy that it it wants to achieve but i can appreciate it in sort of a distanced way yeah i would agree that it's not effective but Mm. it is essentially like what one does in a story like that Mm. and to me that's just like the surface stuff to a more interesting story going on you know as much as Directive 4 is ironic satire. It's also, you know, there's a point to be made about it. It certainly serves the plot, but it also has an undercurrent value that the whole screenplay has, which is that criticism of corporatocracies and their linkages to profiting off of controlling, you know, violence, essentially. Yeah, um, which... You know, it's hard not to think about it in the context of 2020. Like, it's, I think it's very relevant in the context of 2020 and with the many instances of very strong-handed policing that we've seen over the past few months now. But I can't decide if it's really the best satire for today because it seems to be putting most of the blame for all this strong-handedness on the fact that the, the police have been privatized whereas you know in the context of what we're watching on the news every day you don't need the place to be privatized for them to be very very heavy-handed in the response to things so i don't know that the satire like totally works here um because it's partly empathizing with the human cops in this story um and seeing them as um the victims of their corporate overseers in, in a way so i could maybe understand why this would maybe leave a bad taste in someone's mouth today but you read it differently and i think it works it's it's maybe a little malleable yeah i definitely don't try to personally apply it to today because that's you know applying simplistic satire that's that's pretty much bicameral it's it's binary there's one side and another side and then there's a hero's journey of a, a man who was killed along the way Mm. Um, whereas now, you know, you just can't have a simplistic conversation about anything going on today. So I, I Mm. definitely don't personally try to apply it to today so much as look at it as an artifact of the Vietnam war and the cold war and a lot of like fear mongering mass media at its inception, kind of in the, the late eighties, early nineties, that that's Mm. the way that I look at it. Yeah. I mean, I think you could look at anything through multiple lenses right whether you look like look at night of the living dead and you see that is related to the vietnam war you watch it today you also see a black guy shot by police at the end that has relevance today i mean 
you can always look at these things through multiple yes. lenses, right? Um, but uh, that is interesting. I actually had not thought about Vietnam War or I or Cold War because of the nuclear mm-hmm. uh, comments, right? That's what yeah. you were referring to. Well, in the timing, you know, nineteen eighty-seven, yeah. just and and knowing that Paul comes from the European area, and you know, he's expressing fears about kind of this Cold War era. Mm. Um, but also this, you know, post everybody getting shot to death in, in Vietnam as well. You know, it's still very much in the cultural moment. Uh, I think when did Platoon come out? Like right after Full Metal mm. Jacket. So, you know, it's still very much in the in the psyche of everyone. And um, I, I mean, maybe I'm off base there, but I definitely just saw reflections of the, the bloodshed and kind of uh, the mindlessness of the drug trade which you know the war mm. on drugs started by nixon mm. yeah there's just a lot going on in this yeah yeah and uh just the idea of the sort of uh it, it's such a cliche to say the glamorization of violence but i don't know how else to put it you know whether it's the ad where a guy is spitting the pistol and robocop does the move himself it's you know similar idea with the nuclear war stuff where people are just finding the violence cool and fun and uh he certainly leads us to almost be be guilty of that ourselves by just making the action that he delivers pretty fun yeah Uh, he almost kind of makes us culpable in a way which is kind of smart yeah like you know the whole gas station scene where you know his emotions end up causing massive scale destruction from the the gas station blowing up and then him placing a very simple shot to kill the guy on the motorcycle you know mm-hmm. he could have done that essentially about one minute beforehand and mm-hmm. th- you know so there's the criticism of emotions which is also the point of the film getting in the way there's there's definitely a lot on on the mind of paul verhoven and he seems to not have let up it since then on on his mindfulness of, of things i don't remember l super specifically but i do remember mm-hmm. being deeply um morally interested in the the plotting of that that film and um a very interesting director to come from europe and and kind of make his way through la and tell stories that feel very specific to him but also very mm-hmm. um unanimously distinctive amongst each other although i feel like satire applies to starship troopers it's an entirely um separate adaptation of another work um which was a novel so very interesting yeah and as much as i do enjoy robocop and starship starship troopers for a variety of reasons they are capital letters satire and i do kind of i think that's why i still like something like L at the end of the day is that it, that just feels more just like complex drama in a way. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is just more relatable. thriller. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, uh, taste comes into, into it at some point. And I think that's why I'd probably still rather watch re- rewatch L than some of these, but um, or, or I kind of like I, all this stuff. Like I find myself preferring the satire of um, Putney Swope over mm. this. Like yeah, there, there's yeah. something to comedy sat- satire which maybe it's just easier to palette and funner to go along with than, mm-hmm. you know, brutal sequences of violence um, and, and all that that entails. But, you know, the, the one connection we do have in this film 
and in Miami Vice, besides the brutal action sequences, is the Coke relationship. Oh, yes. <laughs> so just just creating Pitches. that, throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, th- th- there's some fun acting. You know, I kind of like the part of this that is just about, like, office rivalry in the most ruthless kind of way playing itself out that uh is is kind of amusing as as much as it is also very violent and grotesque um i I do think he nicely uh makes these humorous without just feeling too dopey or cartoonish i don't know the the action combined with the comedy is nicely done i guess yeah he he has a a penchant for unique casting choices that I just don't mm. ascribe to other directors. Um, you know, Nancy Allen is by all means not, you know, the femme fatale, you know, mm. that you would have gone with at the time. You know, I think that I'd be much more like, of course that he casts like Demi Moore or, mm. y- you know, that type of like action, um, it, potential action, also beauty. Nancy Allen was a, a lot less like, based on my understanding of a sex symbol and he you, you know later in starship troopers literally just cast a sex symbol in denise richards yeah. um and then the choice for peter weller i i just can't imagine going with anybody else now but like what a what a distinctive face to choose like what a what a wholly unique face it, it's very interesting because as much as he is a human he he doesn't feel like a human I when agree. I look at him. He feels like a, a cyborg even before he's turned into one. I agree. That's, I think, a great point. Like, there is – his face works for this role, and it, I think that works better than his, like, personality does, which to me is kind of a non-personality, which you can which argue is, is the point. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> um, you have to be okay with, it, like, the, your main character being kind of a non-character in mm-hmm. a way, um, which it kind of has its pros and cons. Certainly in just a abstract way, it has its – uh, advantages because he just feels that much more like a corporate con like he has been created to be a slave to his to management um but i think that does come at the expense of those scenes where he's going home to his family or something like that just not um re- just not carry that much pathos for me um you have to be on board with the idea than the execution yeah agreed you- Without being on board with some of those ideas, the the execution gets very uh, dense. We'll, mm. we'll say, yeah, um, yeah. Um, what, what was I trying to? Oh yeah, Kurtwood Smith uh, plays a villain in this. Red oh. Foreman, you might remember from that '70s show. Um, that entire subplot I found much more involving than mm. the actual Directive Four sequence near the mm. end. Um, how did you feel about the different, um, I guess, story segments that end up being action segments in the film? Oh, um, I think he does a very good job in those sections. I don't know why the image that pops into my mind is of him, you know, uh, taking the pin out of a grenade with his mouth. And that is just a, I don't know, he's just an entertaining kind of scumbag of a criminal. Um, I think he carries those sequences in a pretty entertaining way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I think the the two pieces of film craft that I, I found most valuable in this piece were the makeup, which 
was incredibly well done. If you look at, um, you know, a single image still of him after he's turned into RoboCop and you look at the, the edges of where the machine is at a, at a lower density than the face, mm. it's just so meticulous of a makeup job. It looks so realistic, even though, you know, it's fake. It doesn't matter because there's so mm. much talent and effort and artistry put into that makeup job that I just really, really respect it, as well as the the practical effects of the gunshots and all that stuff. Or the guy who turns into the goo monster after being boiled oh, or whatever. so good. <laughs> and then he turns into, uh, you know, just liquid on a car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was uh, watching that with, with Gabby, my girlfriend, at the time and she was kind of half watching but she looked up at that one and just said whoa <laughs> it takes like a real turn there for a second it does it does that's straight up ghouly gremlin looking makeup design um, yeah and then the the second most uh valuable piece of film craft i think was the stop motion animation of the uh the larger robots you know mm. for 1987 and what i understand was quite the small budget i think that that's really really well done yeah yeah. Um, yeah. And I think just the, the how the script handles the relationship between that particular criminal and is it Dick Jones? Who's yes. Our main executive? Yes, it is Dick yeah. Jones. You know, just the the whole conceit of him and the company cracking down on crime for the sake of this real estate deal. But at the same time, exploiting these criminals to further the same idea. Like there's there's clearly no interest in um uh, dealing with crime for any good upstanding moral reason because he's he's happy to take the business of the criminals if it's uh, going to further this deal along um, and it's only means of crushing the, the the thing the very thing that they created um, you know it's all very nicely scripted do you have a favorite scene uh what is my favorite scene do you have one off the top of your head yeah, I'd go with the uh, the Coke factory shootout sequence. Mm. I think that is by far one of the most just hammy and enjoyable sequences of violence without me having any remorse for the actions that are, mm. you know, no questionable morals, just kill them all. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I kind of like the scene where, who is the criminal with the glasses? What is this actor's name again? Kurtwood Kurt Smith. Smith. Yeah, when he comes Clarence. to the, the the lower the younger executive's house and puts in the videotape, and just I, I think the videotape is hilarious in itself of um, <laughs> the older guy in the company not taking any shit from the younger guy is just kind of hilarious. Um, also, even just like a smaller bit is in the very end when RoboCop is about to shoot Dick Jones, the the one black guy in the room stands up and has that big smile on his face yes, as he's he ready to see Dick Jones get fired. A hilarious shot. He's like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> I enjoyed that. You're fired, Dick. Yes. Great ending. On to Starship Troopers. Now the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with the first wave. You smash the entire area. You kill anything that has more than two legs. You get me? We get you, sir. But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. Take off! 
All right, Michael. Totally unlike the previous film we discussed, this is a action satire film with extended sequences of violence. Moving on. <laughs> That's it, right? That's it. Uh, starring Denise Richards, as you mentioned, Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, yes. I, I don't know the actor, the the name of the uh, lead actor, Johnny Rico. Casper Van Dien, or Dine, I don't know which. Who I enjoy. I think he is an entertaining lead. I, um, I do find him entertaining. <laughs> I don't know that that's because of acting talent so much as just the entertainment of the film happening to him. <laughs> Correct. I'm with you on that. Um, how'd this one play for you? Um, it was a trip down memory lane. Before I rewatched this film, I did rewatch the uh, DreamWorks animated film. Uh, starring Woody Allen Ants, which mm. had a, a playful riff on some of the content within Starship Troopers during the uh, sequence when they attack the termites. Mm. Um, and, y- you know, just seeing those action sequences again, not only in Ants, but here in the film Starship Troopers, brought back a lot of nostalgia for me, a lot of joy. Mm. It was also very funny to see Denise Richards play a space captain, remembering Mm -hmm. that um, when we were growing up, Pierce Brosnan's, I believe it was The World Is Not Enough 007 Mm. film, she played a nuclear physicist. Uh And so just going down that memory lane of the absurd 90s was, uh, it was fun. Yeah, I I have not seen Denise Richards in anything in quite a while. It does feel like she... Uh, is trapped in the 90s somehow because I, I can't even think of what the last thing I saw her in was but I very much enjoy her here yes I boy I have to imagine it was something low budget that I accidentally watched or mm-hmm. where she was you know like the big name that helped get funding on maybe an independent project but I couldn't tell you what it would be yeah um, but yeah I, boy I just like this movie it, just plain yeah. and simple it's not a great movie but I just like it I like the absurdism of it. I like the cultural critiques. I like the um, uh, the trailer sequences where they're doing oh, yeah. the, those marketing shots that just took me straight back to Putney Swope. Um, I like the projected integration of clicking on buttons with the internet. Like, mm. I, it's just so effective. I, I really, really like it. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy to me that at the time of its release, there were it seems like there were plenty of folks who just didn't really see it as satire and kind of wrote it off as schlock, you know, aimed mainly for younger audiences who I think very much did enjoy it for that reason. I think I probably did, although I don't really remember like RoboCop. I don't really remember seeing it, but I just have some of these sequences in my memory. Um, you watch it now. It's like, like, how could you not see this as satire? Well, um, I mean, this was a point in time where they were blaming Eminem for like violent crime they thought that like Satanism was real. You still mm-hmm. couldn't convince people that playing certain mm-hmm. vinyl records backwards wasn't a call mm-hmm. to Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, We've come a long way. W- we didn't have the internet. We've come a very long way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm with you on everything. I think it's, it's a lot of fun. I think the satire is very amusing. Um, but yeah, the, the, the ads where you see, you know, the soldiers. Would you like their to hear guns. more? At the end of every ad, um, you see them giving their guns to the kids and them fighting over the gun. Like it just screams parody to me. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, 
it's not like you want to um, disrespect the the critics who have come before you, but through the eyes of of today, it's very capital letters of satire for me the whole the whole way through. Oh, absolutely. I I mean, I haven't read the Heinlein novel in a long time, but I think that if you read the novel and don't think that it's cultural criticism to begin with mm. and that it's serious and then you watch the film and treat it as serious about mm. like the belief structures of Heinlein or of Verhoeven that that they think that you know lives should be thrown endlessly mm. towards war I think that that's a very foolish premise because I, I think that it's very directly criticism of of world wars and of in, incursions. The the novel itself and that the film is you know a, a reflection not only of the criticisms of the wars locally on Earth, but also of the worried future of corporatism um, leading you know for for wealth outside the solar system. Yeah, and and some of the satires in like just tossed off details that I kind of like were just after uh, Buenos Aires has been destroyed and they're all getting amped up and ready to go. There's the one interview where a news guy says, well, some people think that it's because we uh, took took the first step of invading their airspace or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was like that. And Johnny Rico had none of that. He's just <laughs> ready to kill some bugs. Yeah. Um, or the uh, kind of battling news anchors and one guy says i find the idea of a intelligent bug offensive or something like that yes Um, that all feels so well i think all of the televised sequences feel so poignant today mm -hmm. whether or not it's on the actual television or if it's on you know websites and and those stupid pop-ups that ask you to tap here to unmute Mm -hmm. um all those sequences i i think are just so ripe today because now essentially it doesn't matter what you're saying as long as you're saying something that's the demand for the content and Mm -hmm. the more sensationalized the more valuable which is essentially the entire premise of the media in this film Mm -hmm. which you know it couldn't have aged more gracefully i agree um and again not to repeat this phrase but that idea of kind of having his cake and eating it too like he's you know very much having his pie and eating it too yeah totally spun it off He's very, you know, much talking about the, uh, the, the use of beautiful young people and propaganda to, to, mm-hmm. to recruit people and excite people about whatever agenda, you know, a, uh, an authority or a government might have. Well, at the same time, the, the very soapy elements of this movie just take advantage of that, of that in the same way and kind of force you to, like, try and stop yourselves at times and be like, am I almost getting in? to this too much myself yeah. um, because it starts to play just straightforward. You kind of have to check yourself at some point. But it's also, not only do you have to check yourself, but you also don't have to shrink from liking it because mm. aesthetically the content is fun or it's goofy, right? Denise Richards yeah. rocket ship is just straight up goofy and watching her pilot. It is hilarious. Um, and then those action sequences are really cool. Like it's very effective cinematography, um, especially during the uh, final action sequence when he gets stabbed in the leg. Um, just that mm. whole shootout, you, you know, up until the screen goes black as he gets um, 
whatever those aliens are called uh the arachnid stabs him in the mm. leg right and then it goes to black that entire sequence was just so thrilling to watch mm-hmm. that you don't have to be mindful of the parody or any of that stuff just to go that's a good action sequence yeah. and that's why i think paul verhoven's very interesting as a director because he's good at shooting action and also wants to do something besides that Mm-hmm. And he makes, I, I mean, in this film particularly, he is delving into that multimedia layer where he's integrating, you know, action sequences, like you said, soap opera, uh, mm. over dramatization, but then has like these web browser things and, and yeah. the trailers that are, that feel like they're interactive, but they're not. I just think it's really, really effective filmmaking that, um, I, I mean, I, he's kind of, I, I can't say that he's not an auteur. He feels like he's an auteur. As much as I'm not well-versed in his uh, oeuvre, I, I feel like he is a distinctive filmmaker. Oh, I'm completely there with you. Uh, there is plenty of his films that I haven't seen, but I would uh, not argue against giving him well, I think that title. You more recently saw Basic Instinct. Do you see any oh, yeah. um, any relationship between either of these films and Basic Instinct? I literally haven't seen it since the 90s. I love Basic Instinct. That is kind of a problematic fave of mine. Um, I really don't see that one as, as satirical in the same way. It It is, I think it does. Why is it a problematic uh, film? Uh, there's, there's, uh, a, the, the, the scene in particular I'm thinking of that makes me use that word is one where Michael Douglas comes awfully close to raping, not Sharon Stone, but this other character. That's just Okay, so the content of it. Yeah, yeah, Not, like, not the experiences. Uh, it's just a film that has a sequence which could be, like, triggering or whatever. You know, the okay. sex and violence is his thing. Like, that's one where he's well, pushing I, I just, it a I've little bit. I've never heard that um, any actors or actresses have ever had any problems. I've heard extensive interviews with Sharon Stone saying that that was one of the safest sets she was ever on. So I was just like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, not because of extra textual stuff. It's just, it's maybe up for debate. Like, you know, how far he's pushing things in certain Oh, scenes. sure. Well, I'm glad that he's pushing um, things. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that is absolute peak pulpy 90s erotic thriller with some Hitchcockian flair to it like I just think it is so much fun and it's not satirical in the same way that these are although it might be sort of making fun of some of the male characters in that movie mm-hmm. at times um but uh yes yeah, so I might actually kind of like divide at least the ones that I've seen I would put L and basic instinct into the, into one category and then Starship Troopers and RoboCop into another one. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I would too. It, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because I I mean I've seen Basic Instinct not for over two decades, and then yeah. I saw L 2016 whenever it came out. I I think I saw that one in theaters if I'm remembering correctly. And then these two and they just feel like well they're so distinctly really effectively shot very physical films. They just feel like they're different parts of a canon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like you, you read about Verhoeven and you read about his interest in sex and violence. And I see Robocop and Starship Troopers is more about violence and his kind of more political films. And then there is much more sexiness in Basic Instinct and L, for sure. Yes. With the violence as well, but. Yeah, yeah, De- definitely sexiness for sure. But the, the word erotic, right? Like I definitely mm-hmm. think that L uh, and basic instinct are more erotic. Uh, one thing that sure. I do find very interesting in RoboCop and Starship Troopers is his depiction of sexuality as a group by using the locker room. 
He uses the locker room not only in RoboCop, which which is um, both genders, but he uses it in um, Starship Troopers. And it's very odd that it just kind of removes the eroticness. And mm-hmm. I think that that is a criticism of the corporatocracy that he is criticizing, showing that um, it's removed this erotic um, separation between um, these two groups and kind of conglomerated them together towards the furthering of, you know, a cost effective achievement of a goal. I think it's a very passive point, but I, I do think that there's, there's something there. Yeah. It is kind of a, a striking scene when you first see that, especially the one for me in, in Starship Troopers where you're like, Whoa, they share a locker room. Like I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. It, it's ever. definitely shot a lot more um, specifically and kind of, uh, blatantly mm-hmm. but in robocop you're like what the fuck right because just out yeah. of the corner of your eye you notice that it's not just uh, the man's locker room and then it continues and there, it's never really addressed and there's other action going on mm-hmm. but in starship troopers it's just glaringly you know full frontal <laughs> yeah yeah not holding back that's for sure um yeah, it's a, it's almost kind of like trying to level the differences in gender or something like that in those scenes just by throwing everyone together in one room versus something like Basic Instinct that is more about like this almost kind of battle of the sexes, right? Like the opening scene is of a woman murdering a man in bed. Um, there does seem to be a different take on how the genders relate to each other in something like the locker room scenes versus anything in Basic Instinct. Yeah. Um, do you have anything that kind of leapt out at you while you were watching this film about either the its content or the relationship to Verhoeven's canon or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, certain stuff. Um, when I thought about what it would have felt like to watch this at the time, I think for someone who would have seen this at seen this as satire in 97, when it came out, it might've just, it would have just hit, you even harder i would think because we're so accustomed to the, the the kind of violence that is in it now but it is brutal like it is a gory movie and for this whole movie to be skewering this government for believing in the value of it of excessive force and then to be confronted with just like the grotesqueness of that like i think that would hit really hard in 1997 whereas in 2020 we're just we're pretty familiar with it. Yeah. Um, so it, that I think that diminishes a little bit, but otherwise it holds up really well. Um, you've already talked about that a little bit with the action, but like just the aliens themselves, I think look pretty great. Um, they're not the most beautiful bugs I've ever seen, but they look like they're just a part of the world in a way. A lot of older movies um, don't, the, the aliens in older movies don't. Um, so yeah, they're, they're physically tangible. They feel like animatronics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think the the one thing that, I, I mean, I, I genuinely don't know if we were doing an incursion at the time or not, but as far as I'm aware, when this film came out, we were not at war. We've been at war about 20 years now. So I, I do question whether or not this was so culturally offensive because we we weren't accustomed to this lifestyle that we have now where it's like, yeah, we're just a nation that's been at war for like 20 years. No big deal. <laughs> of course, this is satire. We've been at war for 20 years. We've been at war for one fifth of a hundred years. Of course, this is satire. We're very familiar with wartime behavior because we've spent the last 20 years in it. Mm. Um, so I, I do question whether or not, you know, it was 
just a, a bunch of mixed emotions at the time in, in the country and in the world about violence and, you know, not wanting to make jokes about it and, mm. you know, taking it very seriously and that sort of a thing. So I, I feel like I can't get a read on, on what it was like really in the nineties because I was a kid, um, that I, I just wasn't exposed to, to what a, adults of different varying cultures were feeling. I, I, I suspect that not being at war was the number one reason though, with why this couldn't be interpreted easily as satire amongst, mm. um, critics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you might, have watched it and just wonder like who who do you think this is a stand for as of right now where i think he maybe meant it in a kind of theoretical way like this is yeah i think it's a meta text yeah yeah robert heinlein's book i I believe is meta textual it's not about a specific thing it's about all humans going into space it's on the premise that you can't not go to space because the earth is a capitalist structure and mm. if you're constantly expanding and you reach the f- the finitude of your earth, which is a circumference finitude, mm. then you have to go out and you're mm. always going to have to go out. And that's where the criticism comes from. Mm. Yeah. So what I'd heard about the original text, although I haven't read it, was that some people thought that that was meant sincerely, although it was kind of defended as satire. But some people did not t- did not believe that to be the case. And then. And then sort of ironically, Starship Troopers was meant to be satire and people wrote it off as sincere or something like that. I don't know if that's, I don't know, I'm not familiar with the original text. Heinlein's not a satirist, but he, he, I believe, was certainly concerned about humans as we moved forward. He was more interested in the, you know, um, cosmic sociology of people moving on he he was a very famed very well deserving um science fiction writer and although it i don't believe it was directly satirical i believe that there are criticisms within the text based on what i remember of it it's been over a decade now of the natural structures i mean they're not natural but they become natural they're the capitalist system as you move out you know we just saw a uh, uh, asteroid or a meteor I don't remember which um, mm. worth more than the GDP of the entire planet that we could go mine mm. right now like we we could if we just got the money together and built the tech we could go get it right now and he knew that back then and he was writing about the concerns that come with getting all that wealth as you get off planet so although it wasn't in my interpretation written as satire it was written as criticism and sometimes criticism is comedy Mm. yeah yeah i I think regardless of whether you see verhoeven as satirizing what he saw as a text that was sincere or adapting a text that he thought was satire however you take it like it's satire in the end and just the fact that it was made at this scale at this budget that that was approved by whatever studio i don't know which studio put it out or if it was one of the majors or not but it just seems like such an anomaly when i think about just blockbuster film right um 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, re- remember the sequence where um, the drill sergeant says, anybody like think they can take me? And then the, mm. the dumb farm boy goes oh, and gets yeah, his yeah. arm broken. And then like, you know, a good 10 seconds later, he goes, medic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then that guy's like, I can't get my helmet to fit. And then he gets medic. shot in the head. <laughs> we hear that a handful And he of times. dies. And then they yell for the medic and his head's just riddled with bullet holes. I mean, it, it's just so clearly satire. Um, yeah. Did you have a favorite scene? Oh, man. Uh, I think the breakup video is kind of hilarious. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, I enjoyed most of the scenes with, is it Michael Ironside who plays the guy who was the teacher who becomes a uh, sergeant or whatever? Really enjoyed him. Yeah. That's his name. Rackjack. Is that his name in the movie? I, I think it's I think it's uh, John or John Rackjack, yeah, because it's uh, mm. it's Rackjack's Roughnecks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's Something, Rico's Roughnecks. His his toughness, like the way he just embodies like the the raw raw culture, is just like spot on. Um, what about you? Yeah, I mean. All the action cinematography was just so good that it's it's very hard to pick and it's very hard to exclude um, certain marketing sequences. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'll, I'll say that my favorite was the one that I already brought up, which is that single kind of action sequence where they're falling back and Rico ends up getting stabbed in the leg mm. uh, by the arachnid as he loses, you know, his, his cohorts and, and barely kills it. Uh, and then it stabs him with its dying breath or whatever but i will say my my runner up just real mm. quick and that is the first time we see a news anchor <laughs> oh right at the beginning right <laughs> during the where he's say, he's he's just doing a basic report and then the arachnid just like spears him and starts eating him or cuts him in half or whatever oh yeah and it's just oh i i love it i just loved that scene too we haven't talked about Neil Patrick Harris a lot either, but again, that felt like some uh, inspired casting, especially when he's coming out towards the end in what looks like just a straight-up Nazi garb, you know, oh, those yeah. black outfits. It's just, like, just and so, I mean, so over the top. Uh, gosh, Jake Busey, right? He, uh, he's the, the tall, blonde guy who looks like Gary Busey. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I can see that. Right, like, there, there's a certain um, Nazi-efficient-looking um, casting to this film that definitely, mm. I think, has uh, some points that, that are made aesthetically by it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how accurate it is, but I think I've heard that there are sequences that, like, shot for shot were matched uh, with Triumph of the Will, Oh, goodness, um, I had no idea about that. Yeah, I, I saw that in passing. I was like, wow, that is really specific satire. Um, but would, I guess that that makes sense, you know. There's a lot for Verhoeven as a local European citizen to criticize from his native land. So, yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. I just did not mm. see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. I saw that after the fact, most definitely. Uh, Starship Troopers. On to... Michael Mann's Miami Vice. Are you afraid of violence? We get down if the play calls for it, bud. We're here for business. That's right. We can close each other's eyes right now real fast. Then ain't nobody gonna make no money. This is Detective Crockett, Miami-Dade PD. We got him. 
No one has ever tread before where we are now. We're seeing their operations from the inside. Your agency cannot know how they do whatever it is they do. Take it to the limit one more time. Things get emotional, moves get messy, moves get messy, and the wrong people die. There's undercover and then there's which way is up. You think I'm in so deep I forgot? Alright, Michael, this is a delightful, fantastic film starring Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell. What was your uh, feelings about this film? I like this movie a lot. I had never seen it before. I had been very familiar with it. Um, And first and foremost, just kind of wowed by the aesthetics of it more so than the plot. I feel like this is the perfect example for me of the clothesline plot where it's just kind of getting me from one scene to the next so I can just enjoy whatever it is Michael Mann has to shoot and show us. Um, I dig it. What about you? Yeah, I completely agree with that clothesline statement. I don't really know how to express what I think about the narrative. Um, It's so effectively edited and so well communicated visually that I'm already in the place and the time before I notice which characters are delivering their plot devices. And that is just so unique and special. I I wish that I could communicate more clearly what I see happening, but what I see happening is literally visual. It's not textual. And that is so excellent. It's just so good. And it looks so good. Um, Yeah. This is a film I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. For me, the style is, it's, it's captivating partly because it feels on one hand, very stylized and on the other hand very realistic at times there are shots that just feel more documentary like and it's just kind of that balance of a lot of those shipping um, um freighter shots the, those cargo shots very cinematography or documentarian cinematography yeah um yeah i think of scenes in in the club or in cuba where the camera is not looking at our characters but just the other people when it just goes to look at like the performers or, or dancers in the club and that all just feels like it's just just kind of immersive that club world sequence building. was so good the, one? the the intro club sequence oh yeah that's just that's one of those great sequences where when i watched that i was like all right nolan you saw that and you were like you know what michael man i'm gonna try to do a little bit better i'm gonna do the intro scene to the dark knight with this great bank heist and i'm, I'm gonna raise the bar like i just i see such direct influence from man into nolan not specifically that scene mm. but yeah. yeah, that's one difference I've heard of between theatrical and director's cut is that the theatrical, I thought, started, well, I saw the theatrical, I should say that first, mm-hmm. which starts immediately in the club with the Linkin Park Jay-Z mashup. Does the director's cut start elsewhere? Yes, not- yeah. yes. The director's cut starts underwater. Mm, got it. And then you raise out of the water and you are on the Gojos or Mojos, uh, the Mojo mm. Boats. The go right. fast boats, right? Well, that's what they're called. They're a nickname right? for them or but, something. Well, the, the brand of shirt that they were wearing, mm. and I think the brand that was on the boat because it's like a race boat, uh, right? Is it. Mojo, I think. And they were out like 
just playing with them. You, I, I mean, I genuinely don't know what they were doing. Um, and maybe that's, you know, something that I totally glossed over that they were doing something and I wasn't aware of it. Um, and, and then the, the film kind of progresses into them going in to do the job that's in the Got club. It. And I yeah. do remember being in the theater originally and it starting in the club and just how thrilling a sequence that was. I think both work really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't know that there are, generally speaking, I just don't usually care for cinematography and a, the look of a film that is so obviously digital, but I just feel like there are a small number of directors who really understand how digital cameras absorb light and, and, and the quality of images that they can produce. I feel like Cronenberg is one. There were times I kind of thought about the look of something like Cosmopolis and just kind of the flatness of that digital imagery. I think Pedro Costa really gets it too. And this is a very like obviously digital film and it just looks so good. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and I think that gets you very far. I feel like it is a, not a widely beloved movie, right? Like I feel like this was actually kind of panned at the time it came out. Oh yeah. This were... is very mixed. Yeah. I think it's like 60% on rotten somewhere in the fifties on meta. Yeah. You know, if you're here first and foremost for plot, I think that can get a little convoluted. Some of the lines can be a little close to corny, but if you're here for the look, for the style, my God, you can't really top that. I I think that whatever brought you here, the looks and the style keep you here. Word. And and keep it memorable. I, I think that this is one of those first movies where I truly began to be exposed to the idea of digital cinematography. When I watched this, I certainly didn't know how to think about it, or I just noticed that, whoa, this looks really good, and whoa, this looks really different. Mm -hmm. But it also is shot in, in like, a a way that's indisputable. It's shot the way that, you know, mountains are, are, you, you can't say that a mountain's not there, it's there. The way that this is shot is just so physical and so in inserting of place and time but the time doesn't matter but you know that the time is there like you know when you're in cuba dancing it has a tangible feel to the time when you're doing i I don't know if it was in the theatrical cut but in the director's cut when you're going down to see li gong talking to the the kingpin you have this beautiful just sumptuously gorgeous overhead shot of this like super waterfall rainforest mm. reservoir. Oh yeah, I know exactly and it's what you're just talking about. Like you know exactly where you are, even though you have no clue where you are, because of that that not only the editing, but the that cinematography. And that is just constant throughout this piece. Whether you're on the the freighters or whether you're in the go fast boats or in those airplanes, um and you're looking at the radar blip and just he's using visuals to tell the story and then there's some adr that's happening and there's some Mm. some like dialogue but you don't really need that to figure out what's going on like if you watch this movie on mute you'd still have a pretty good understanding oh yeah except that i love the soundtrack to this movie which is very like 2000s it's like i think about that waterfall shot you're talking about there's some i don't know what band it is but there's some you know mid 2000s rock playing there 
there's Lincoln Park, you know, it, yes. it is very much of its time. I definitely me- was checking, uh, so on the Google Pixel 2, which is the phone I have, it has the Google Assistant, and on the bottom mm. of my uh, phone, when it's, like, not on and just has the dark screen, it'll tell me the songs that it hears, and I definitely, mm. like, kept picking my phone up to go, like, what song one? is this? Because I've, I've heard this song, but I have no recollection of, number one, the name of the song, or number two, the band, and that happened mm. so often where I was just like, huh. I know this song didn't know that band. Yeah, which I like. I I completely get that people might just not dig the the two thousands rock and that kind of thing. To me, I love that the music feels very of its time, while the the visual style feels very ahead of its time. Like there's just you just don't find many movies that look like this, um, even now. And this you know it's almost fifteen years later. Um, so oh, interesting. I don't think that I've ever applied that logic to it i hmm i think that to me michael mann is so distinctive a filmmaker that his images are kind of separate from the canon almost where i i Mm. it's like the same as terrence malick like not Mm. only are they you could say ahead of his time or whatever they're just not even part of the timeline like to me malick and michael mann are like they're making their things Mm. and their stuff like might make canonical sense in a gallery like mm-hmm. side by side by side but they like they just don't belong in the broader like museum of film where they should be put side by side with other entries from the same year like what they're doing is just what they're doing yeah uh like you'll see you know plenty of action films borrow kind of tropes or kind of ideas for scenes from Michael Mann movies like like Heat all the time but really mm-hmm. do you see movies that you know whose images have the same quality of the digital images in this movie um, that feels pretty distinctive and dope yeah yeah definitely <laughs> it feels dope as hell dude um, and that's one of the other interesting things is like with distinctive digital digital cinematographers and filmmakers I don't feel like they have that much commonality. Like I'd say that Cronenberg is a lot closer to Soderbergh than mm. I'd say that either are close to man. Um, and then like Sean Baker, like, gosh, I just can't mm. think of another filmmaker that, that I would really feel comfortable expressing that. Like maybe high flying bird from Soderbergh, a single entry mm-hmm. is kind of similar. Maybe girlfriend experience is kind of like tangerine, the uh, 2009 mm. film that he made, but it, by and large canonically, I, I think that they're just very different. Yeah, yeah, uh, that yeah, kind of a, a loose comparison to be made, but maybe it's just in the sense that they're each doing their own thing. Maybe that yeah. is the commonality. Yeah, and maybe that's what you know. It makes it so easy to to say that these are the great auteurs. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you like this relative to other Michael Mann movies? That's a great question. I think it's my favorite. Nice, and that's primarily because i have very limited experience with other michael mann films um i gosh 2018 29 no it would have been like 2018 right before we started the show probably uh keith ulick had for whatever year it came out made black hat like one of his number one favorite films Mm -hmm. and i i went back and i watched the director's cut that was some special version on top of director's cut and i was absolutely flabbergasted by it i i'd still put it in one of the top films that year but to me miami vice is just 
it's kind of like a Shakespeare thing. Like it's just, mm. it's a tale too big for words. Mm. It's two justice, you know, guys and a woman on the other side of, of the oh. law line. And then a woman on the other side of, or on the same side of the law line being taken. And that's just, that's so Shakespearean. Like you don't have to limit this to the name Miami vice. You don't have to limit this to Miami. You could reshoot the same film in a hundred years and it would still feel the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that that screenplay, although I wouldn't say that the writing's the best with this film, there's something about it that does make it at that, that, um, gosh, what's the term for that? Uh, where you can be in multiple places at once. Mm, uh, I can't think of the word. Superposition. Mm, gotcha. it, it's, it's a screenplay that is in a superposition of time where this version of the film is here. And you could take this and adapt it and switch the jurisdictions the locales and the the justice systems that are in play and still tell the same exact story somewhere else. And I think that that is what makes this a very um, just valuable text, it, which I, I guess I didn't know until I just said it, that I do find it to be a valuable text. Like it is very special. You could tell the same story in the beginning about the sex trafficking trade in a hundred years differently. Like this is just such Shakespearean stuff. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the romance. Like I sound like I've totally written off the plot, but I do think that like is very much central to the feeling of the movie overall. And there's something kind of operatic about that. Um, I'm with you. I think or to the extent that it sounds like you like that part of it worked for you. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Romeo and Juliet ish. Yeah part of it yeah it's not erotic like we were talking about with Verhoeven it's it's more of like a sumptuous romance where n- mm. like it certainly has its sexiness but it's not about the sexiness it's about the loveliness mm, yeah and I don't know how the director's cut end the theatrical cut ends with almost kind of this like insignificant shot of Colin Farrell just walking back into the hospital to to see you know where the one colleague is has, has just been destroyed by the explosion is it the same last shot in the theatrical cut of him walking back into the hospital no i mean jamie fox is in the hospital yeah and but in 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 the director's cut him and lee gong are somewhere else oh what oh wow that's like material i I don't i don't know where they are but they are on a beach somewhere else happier ending uh well you don't know if he's gonna leave her Uh, okay okay there's a little bit of a different energy going on where it you just don't quite know. Um, I mean, I think that's the single last image, but that's definitely the last image of Colin Farrell that I recall is is them mm. just on the beach. So, I, I mean, if, if that's how Michael Mann wants it to be, that that mm. is certainly a materially different ending than the theatrical cut had. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, I, I mean, I, I like the theatrical ending where, where you see them on a beach, but then he watches her leave on a different boat and you see him go back into the hospital. So just kind of taken taking the beginning and the ending together, which the beginning starts in media res, you're just in the club, this sting mm-hmm. operation is going on. The last shot is like, it, it hardly even feels like an ending. Like he's just walking back into the hospital and there's really like nothing terribly um, significant about it. And it just feels like this is just one episode in the lives of these people because we've been so dropped into all of this. Um, 
that, that that's just kind of fun the, the way that, that it opens and closes but very different evidently yeah well i i think that they could be interpreted similarly you, you know there's a lot of room for all of the same stuff to happen fair enough fair enough uh any favorite images sequences scenes moments yeah so from zero 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 one to two two eight five seven that was my favorite part. <laughs> just good the pick. whole movie good pick. right um boy that's tough just a single scene you are putting the screws to me um do you have one uh really specific like an image that comes to mind is after the one colleague of theirs has been taken by the the trailer park guys and they've just broken into the trailer home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that close up of Jamie Foxx, which is just so tight and like his and his head is just kind of bobbing in the frame. That's just like one of the images that comes to mind when I think about the ways in which this movie feels more like impressionism than realism. Like that oh, is yeah. not a documentary shot. That is just what it feels like to be in this moment um these really tight close-ups where the the face is is outside of the frame to some extent um just just one that stuck with me yeah so i i thought of one it is when colin farrell convinces lee gong to go to cuba and Mm. they're in the go fast boat the mojo boat and just that whole sequence there's something that I just found enrapturing about watching those go fast boats on just that level plane of water mm-hmm. and just, you know, it feels so out of this world. Mm-hmm. Like just, it, you know, that's, it's like the same feeling of, of reading Cormac McCarthy with his lead character on a horse mm-hmm. galloping fast away from violence. Like there's just something deeply, um, literal, uh, deepen the wells of literature. When I when mm. I watch that skating sequence, I can project forward and think of great pieces of science fiction in which ships are going mm. faster. I can think about riding on horses, and it, it's just this superimposition, but it's also just this basic romantic scene, and it's not romantic either. There's just it's visually pleasurable, and there's a, a well, a, a depth to the well of meaning there. Yeah. Like, uh... He, he reaches over to put her seatbelt on, on for her. Yep. Nice little touch. Maybe just before that, takes off his coat just to kind of get ready. Asks her to hold the steering wheel. Yeah, yep. it's a nice scene. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's like an everyday scene that also has all these meanings to it. And uh, it, yeah. it just, I really reacted positively to the whole film and that scene in particular. It, and then, of course, we talked about the overhead shot of oh. before they go down south. And I think that that's just one of the greatest pieces of digital cinema cinematography probably in that decade so very good chat um i found out that i love michael mann after thinking that i love michael mann so now i have proof um about a month and a half ago you told me to my utter confusion and delight that there's an hbo series coming out for michael mann yeah that's right with uh i think it's called tokyo vice is, is that right uh I, I believe it's tokyo vice on hbo max with uh, Ansel Elgort. And is that still projected to come out this year? Uh, that I'm not sure about. I, last I'd heard it was still in production. I think that's a little ways out. Okay. 
Like it, I think that was one that had been stopped because of COVID. So they have a little ways to oh, go, that's a but stuff to look All forward right. to. Well, we we did some cursory research before uh, Tokyo Vice. I might be trying to convince you, Michael, to uh, come back and do maybe a little bit more of a retrospective on some of his other titles in the future. Let's do it. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! That's another one in the can.